Hello and welcome to Cartel Aristocrats cast number 161. This cast is always sponsored by CoolStuffInc.com with free shipping on orders of $100 or more and a sweet 25% buy list bonus. CoolStuffInc.com is the store for all of your Magic the Gathering needs. Now you guys may be wondering why there's a lot of background noise in this cast. I had to literally fly to Phoenix from the great state of Missouri and track down Ed. Uh, we're currently sitting behind Michael Caffrey's Tales of Adventure booth at GP Phoenix recording this. So we apologize for the audio issues, but Ed is really bad lately for the last, what, month, guys? So we figured we'd come to you live from the GP. How are you doing, Ed? For the record, it's not my fault that I haven't been able to record, right? Like, and why I, is it not your fault? It is definitively not my fault. Audacity is... Uh, um, Audacity is having issues with the new Mac OS. I, up, I updated uh, to Mac OS Catalina that has issues with 32-bit uh, Audacity until I find a new solution. This is what we've we have to resort to. Basically, I have to fly around the world and chase Ed wherever he may be, allegedly, in order to get him to record the things that we do for listeners. I spent like 300 whole dollars on a ticket to get to Phoenix just so we could record our audio. This, this is definitively not my fault. <laughs> I'm, I'm not. I'm not one to blame here. So. Well, we're currently here. We've seen some interesting BIOS trends from Pioneer. Uh, what have you noticed specifically from BIOS when it comes to the room? So, in case anyone has somehow been living underneath a giant rock, yes. uh, Pioneer was the most recent announcement this week. Uh, it was kind of tied in with the ban from Field of the Dead and Standard. I think most people knew that was to be coming. That wasn't really a surprise to anyone, I don't think, but I think people were expecting to see some other format sh shaken up. Yeah. Uh, the fact that there are no changes to modern is kind of interesting. I thought that they would have tried to make a push. One sec. <laughs> <laughs> we are literally inside the hall, directly underneath a speaker. Correct, and there's people coming up to me because I'm giving away free Japanese collector edition pack thingies. So if you hear that, we keep getting interrupted because we have to use our Twitter cloud. But as you were saying, Ed? Uh, so no changes to modern. I think that was pretty surprising. I would have expected them to make a change in one form or another. Uh, but obviously the biggest change is announce uh, the official announcement of the Pioneer format, which is RTR uh, blocks forward. And no M13. You cannot play Omnidor Thragfire. There's no Thrag Tusk in this format. Yeah, so M, uh, RTR going forward, M14 going forward. Correct. Um, the only banned cards currently are the five KTK Fetchlands, but through fairly cryptic tweets and various Q&A sessions with uh, WASI employees, it sounds like people should be expecting bans going forward. Yeah. I do imagine this is going to be very uh, similar to how Modern originated. Um, but obviously Modern started out with a fairly extensive ban list and cards were added on pretty quickly. I think this is going to be very similar. Obviously there isn't much to take off, but they're trying to nip a lot of the problem cards in the bud right away because people probably, they, they probably want Pioneer as a format to have its own distinct identity. They don't want it to be, we're just rehashing what Standard has been, right? We don't want to just see Aetherworks Marvel's decks. We don't want to see, uh, I'm trying to think of some of some Copycat, because that's the perfect storm. Jesus. This, 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 listening to these is worse in person. Um, yeah, like Saheeli decks, right? Yeah. We, they, don't, they, we, they probably just don't want to rehash, because if that's what Pioneer just 
kind of naturally devolves into, that's how they get people to lose interest on the format pretty quick. Yeah, and we've seen a lot of streamers testing out a ton of different decks. Honestly, it feels like the format is wide open. Um, I'm seeing a lot of, like, blue-red uh, Phoenix decks. We're seeing the Rock everywhere. Obviously, there is Oko decks pretty much everywhere, as we've seen this week, and Bylas on Oko have gone pretty crazy. Uh, I think Oko is $93 right now online as well. Um, that, that, that's slightly different, right? Because Moto kind of has a weird economy, correct. right? The mythics, the competitive mythics tend to get bottlenecked very quickly. Yes. And we, there's a lot more renting systems on Moto lately as well. There's different competitors that you can choose from. Uh, so it's definitely, if you're trying to play online, you can definitely go ahead and spend way less money when it comes to that. Um, but we've seen all these streamers tested all these different decks. The format feels fairly wide open. And a lot of cards are moving up as a result. So we've basically seen every competitive card that used to be played in yes. any type of standard deck is now a yes. million dollars. Yes, every standard has been mythic. Yes. Like, once, you know, like, at some point in its life that has been good, uh, basically exploding price. Soul Scarred right? Mage is like $5, and that card did not see an insane amount of play back in the day, but it spiked. We're seeing Stoke the Flame, if people remember that, being yeah, played in, like, that Goblin deck with... Um, uh, Foundry Street Denizen, the uh, red common from Gatecrash. Um, one sec. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, we anything we could do to get uh, good content for you, we're trying, so we appreciate your ears. But this is what happens when Ed's audio is not great. So, uh, we, we've basically seen what happened in 2012, and do you sort of remember what happened in 2012-2013 when Modern was sort of fleshing itself out with a bunch of bands? Yeah, I so the the big part was that um, for anyone that follows me on Twitter, I kind of alluded to this, was that there is a very good reason why Modern, or I'm sorry, Pioneer starts at RTR uh, at M14. And, in, and if anyone wasn't around during that time, RTR was kind of the beginning of massive, massive print runs. Um, if you look online, uh, the block that immediately uh, predates RTR, which is Innistrad. Obviously, it's it's well loved, but even Dark Ascension boxes, Avatar Sword boxes, they're much much more expensive. Right. Whereas RTR going forward, you really don't see boxes that are breaking a hundred dollars. Yeah. And that's the simple virtue of that is that there's just too many of them. And I think that Wizards was wise to choose RTR as a starting point because at the very least. They don't have to deal with the constraints that they dealt with in modern when it first originated, because that was when, for the people that don't remember, when modern was first flushing itself out, cards were just going crazy, like very similar, very similar, very similar to right now. Cards were just going crazy in price, nonstop. People but were. What happened after modern exploded? What happened to the the secondary and tertiary cards as a result of modern? Right? Like, could we see that again, where? People I, took modern staples and they traded them into the reserveless staples. So you're seeing people that have held on to these cons of Tarkir rares forever, and now they're $5, and they're buy-listing them to vendors. Do you expect older cards to go up oh. while all these people are buy-listing all the cards this weekend in Phoenix? Absolutely, absolutely, right? Like, it, you have very much a trickle-down effect, right? Like, in modern, the first things that people buy are fetch lands, right? The next things people start buying are the staples. <laughs> Um, and it just starts to go down, and then the the bottleneck is always going to be what people don't have access to, and those are going to be the expensive cards. And we don't know what the bottleneck is yet, right? Because as far as um, the the supply constraint, we don't know what decks are good yet. 
So there could be possibly anything that could go crazy, but most likely probably something from Eldritch Moon, right? Like that was one of the lesser printed cards. Also potentially something like Journey to Nyx or uh, Born of the Gods because no, nothing was ever financially relevant there. Right. Yeah, like generally like the more obscure cards will be the ones that that do very well, right? Yeah. Like, ob like obviously, you know, it's no surprise. Like, Deathrite Shaman is good. Aetherworks Marvel is good. Sahili Ride. Like, these are all cards that you know has been. They've proven themselves. It doesn't really take a genius to figure out that hey, this is probably going to be level zero where people start brewing for a pioneer. Correct. And we look around the room, like there's definitely a lot of vendors who are trying to buy these cards just to have them in stock. Yeah, a lot of vendors <laughs> have really been tweaking their buy list as far as. Uh, what they're what they're willing to pay this week and uh, we're seeing stuff like our sponsors cool stuff inc buying assassin's trophy for 13 you're seeing a lot of european vendors have a lot of interest as well mtg deals is here tales of adventure is here uh people are paying 17 dollars so tales of adventure where we are right now one second as we wait for the audio i'm just scrolling through bios at the moment um uh, because I took pictures of all of them because a lot of our followers wanted to know. Tales of Adventure was paying $17 on most copies of Thoughtseize, but there were people like 95 selling it for $17 as well. So obviously one of those prices is wrong or like one of the vendors has an out as far as uh, what they can do. Uh, obviously there's going to be like a bit of a correction in the market. I think once people start to catch on that, once people start to catch on that these cards, uh, people actually do need to get them again. It's going to... It's, it's gonna it's gonna take some time for prices to catch up but obviously there's a lot of room for prices to settle as well um, I think I, I, I think you would you can definitely save yourself all, all right one moment <laughs> channel fireball really likes to be on top of it with uh, with announcements right well, yeah so uh, so yeah so the so the obvious response is, you know, like a lot of people are saying, like, if I want to get into Pioneer right now, how do I do this in the cheapest way possible? You take and the Oregon Trail, right? What? If you want to be a Pioneer? You're, this is, where, where's Jim and all this? This is insufferable. Anyway, um, let's get back on track, Ed. You're, <laughs> someone come here and like help me. Like anyone in Phoenix like says, this is my call for help. Um, you can easily wait and let prices settle. I think once people start to go through and realize that these cards that they probably have in their closet, if they haven't played Magic in the past, you know, two standard rotations or something, once people start to make an effort to dig these out and, you know, sell them to their store, which in turn will sell them online, once supply kind of goes back up and is made available, prices will definitely drop, right? And I think, like, there's no real reason to start buying Pioneer cards at their peak right now, um, unless you you know for whatever reason absolutely have to start playing you can yeah. definitely save yourself you know some dollars just give you know like even if you're wanting to buy right now tcg for today is actually doing uh eight percent uh kickback kick yeah yep. and then obviously if you can you know even be more patient uh in one month's time we'll have black friday and usually we'll see like a 14 15 percent kickback so something that i don't think a lot of people realize because like we've both dealt with a lot of people over the last week since pioneer came out as a format uh, everyone thinks they've struck gold. Everyone's like, wow, I have a place that is Sahili, I have a place that of Etherworks, I'm rich. But what they don't realize is everyone that has played over the last five years has a place that is. And as a result, because supply is so big, starting with Return to Ravnica, prices are going to go down like 
unless the card is a massive four of and pioneer that may be oko that we've seen from like recent testing uh, the cards are just determined to go down. It doesn't matter if you're um, selling Sahili Rai for $20. It, like, there's so many people that have copies that would let them go for $20 that like the price just has to fall, buyers have to fall on this card. But for vendors that have been out of these cards that their locals want or they perhaps have a way to sell some of these cards for a really good amount of money in the short-term run when demand for this card is at their highest, um, it, could, it can be worth it to purchase Pioneer cards over this weekend. Yeah, like I, I again, I don't disagree, but I think like you know, waiting just at the very least to see the format flush itself out and actually see what's good, right? Because because Channel Fireball needs to make an announcement, right? <laughs> right, like the part of the excitement in new formats is people are finding ways to uh, put card A with card B when these two cards have never seen any overlap. And I think that is going to be, you know, obviously that's part of the excitement, but one of the things that people should realize is Aetherworks, Aether, Aetherworks Marvel is pretty cool and all. Right, that's great, but I, how many people actually realize that if your opponent has Teferi out, it doesn't actually work because you can't cast Aetherworks Marvel. Right, or, or you, can, you can't you, you, activate you, 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 you can activate it, you can't cast a spell off it because Correct. you're casting it without its mana cost. Yeah. And people don't realize that, right? Like, these are synergies... Or you know interactions that haven't you know like Teferi and Aetherworks Marvel were never together at the same time. Yeah. And these are things that people realize, and in turn, this will probably create new decks, new interactions, new synergies. That is, you know, if if Wizards is doing their job and Pioneer turns out in going, if it turns out is going to be a, po a popular format, you know, these are what people want to have happen as opposed to people just playing like. You know, Black Moon Delirium, Copycat, Aetherworks Marvel decks, like where, like whatever decks, over and over again. And so we've we've seen box prices, like even Return to Ravnica, which was considered a slam dunk when it came to sealed finance back in the day. Those boxes were eighty dollars forever. Do you think sealed boxes of this stuff moves at all, or do you think that there's just too much sealed product out there for prices to go up like more than maybe fifty cents a pack for stuff like Dragons of Turk here? I I just I just don't see enough of those. Um, I don't see there being enough singles to make things go up, right? Like, even if we look at, you know, Keldesh, for example. Sure. Keldesh is, like, probably one of the biggest winners because it has Masterpieces, it has Torrential Gearhulk, it has Aetherworks Marvel, it has Healy Rai, it has, like, a long list of cards that are... And the Fastlands that are sort of important to this And format. all the Fastlands, right? Like, no one's going to go out and just, like, start buying Keldesh for, like, you know... $150, $200. Right. Because Caldas is kind of an anomaly because it's already expensive. Yeah. Right? But, like, it's more affordable for people who want, who are in a position to want Pioneer cards to just go out and buy singles instead as opposed to, you know, trying to spin the wheel with RTR and hope that they get the cards they, they want and they can turn a profit on the box. Yeah. Uh, do you see Shocklands going up at all? They've been hovering around, like, 4 to $5. Bios have been pretty consistent on them do you think that we see a shockland rise or do you think that there's just way too many of them out there i think there's just way too many of them yeah. uh, i think um even after they printed uh or sorry the first time they reprinted uh with rtr gatecrash dragon's maze i think that more or less put the nail in the coffin for shocklands one because at some point if they do get too expensive they'll just get reprinted again and now that we've seen a second printing that's fairly widely available I, th I think that's, it's just past the point where Shocklands can be expensive. 
Pioneer might help push it a little bit because a lot of the decks uh, want to be running four Shocklands as a mana base as a start because there's not really, excuse me, many other good dual land alternatives, right? Because with Modern, the fetch land mana base is so good, most decks, like Death Shadow, it plays eight lands that tap for colored mana and it plays three shock or four Shocklands or something, right? Uh, the rest of the lands are... Uh, fetch lands, right? Like, there's just no real reason for people to own a lot of shocks if they're playing modern, whereas Pioneer might push it a bit, but I don't think it's enough for, you know, shock lands to be, like, $15, $20 again. And we haven't even talked about one of the most important questions when it comes to another format. What do you think happens to modern prices? I mean, we are seeing a ton of Grand Prix next year have Pioneer support. Do you think people start selling modern cards for Pioneer, or that there will be a retraction in demand for modern cards overall? Um... I, uh, I've talked with a few people extensively about this. I don't think Modern is going anywhere. A lot of the people that who uh, have played Modern are likely veterans of the game in the sense that, you know, like nowadays we would think a veteran is not someone who's been playing Magic for like 20 plus years. Do you mean an established like, player or like just like a... Yeah, an established okay. player at this yeah. point. So like realistically, I would call anyone who's playing more than like five years or so probably a veteran at this point. Correct. Like, Right, because you know there's so much turnover nowadays that if they've been playing for more than five years, they basically own probably most of what Pioneer has to offer. Right, because yeah. there's there's definitely quite a few players who never sell their cards. They just they just you know they just draft, they just play, and then as soon as it rotates, they don't really care. They just kind of shove it all in the closet and forget about it. And <laughs> yeah. obviously, like those people, like in theory, they could have made bank this weekend. Correct. But those are probably the people that are ahead of the curve, and probably the people that will play Pioneer anyways, yeah. but they already have Modern. They have no need to sell Modern to get Pioneer cards because they already own them. Okay. So so where, where are you more confident going forward when it comes to cards like Modern, Pioneer, or like Reserve List in general? Or do you not care and it doesn't matter as long as you can flip the card for a profit as fast as possible? It, it, I don't think it matters. I think like I, like no matter where you go, there will there's always someone who wants to you know buy Modern cards, right? Like I don't think like you know, people need to worry about you know, their Snapcaster mages, like, losing value. Um, you know, Modern is more or less here to stay. I know that it... Modern kind of is in the same boat with Legacy in the sense that people who love Modern, like, really, really love Modern, right? Like, there are definitely no shortage of people that own a full Modern collection that can basically build any Modern deck. Um, right? Those people aren't going anywhere. And those people will continue to buy Modern cards. Yeah. Um, and I think the nature of modern being as expensive as it is more or less incentivizes people to continue to play modern it might the entry of new players into modern might slow down a little bit because once people realize that if i just if i'm an arena player and i start playing standard it's not that big of a jump to go from standard into pioneer it's a much much bigger jump from someone who you know even if they're a veteran like you know the five-year player for example is a definitely bigger jump for them to buy the fetch lands, these big like expensive stable Snapcaster Mage, Cavern of Souls, Mox Opal for these for them to get into modern instead. Right. So um, I again I think both formats are fine. I think there's definitely a world where both formats can exist, but um, we'll just have to kind of wait out and see. We'll have to see how big and how successful you know these Pioneer Grand Prix are going to be. So as people can hear, we're currently at Vegas or at Phoenix as we've already said. Um, 
the turnout's pretty anemic. It's a limited Grand Prix this weekend. It is. So do you have any predictions next year when it comes to GP attendance, if it'll be any better? Because we've seen, so, what, at least a dozen Grand Prix this year of less than 1,000 people for the main event. So, but we also, just before you jump in, have a command zone behind us, which on a Friday looks like it's about a quarter to a tenth full. I, yeah, maybe a tenth full on a Friday. Like, what do you think the future of Grand Prix turnout and how Channel Fireball events and how, like, vendors are going to make their money is? Uh, so when I was walking around the room, um, someone had actually mentioned that when they had pre-registered, I think they were, like, number 400 and change, which is obviously a very small Grand Prix. Uh, they said that, they told me that this was, like, yesterday or something. Yeah, I heard it today yeah. from players that it's around 400 for pre-reg. So not a lot of people, we get it, but... Um, if you actually look around the room, the room looks pretty full. It's not a large room. Um, I imagine that, you know, they're not expecting a great turnout. But the room is pretty full. I see, like, a lot of people are sitting around. There's, like, there's people playing Magic. Almost every booth has some amount of people, like, either doing business in terms of, like, right now we have... And by we, he means Tales of Adventure. Uh, Tales of Adventure, at the booth we're at. Uh, there's three people selling booths. Are three people selling cards to our buyers, and then there's five people actually at the uh, in front of the booth at showcases. Yeah, we got a lot of booth monkeys here, including Ed. Yeah, like is that is that necessarily busy? No, like obviously I wish that you know we had more buyers working, more people looking to buy cards or sell or or sell, right? But um, like for Friday, there's definitely no shortage of people in the room. Um, I I think the number for the main main event itself is a bit deceptive. I think if you solely look on that number, then sure, like this is gonna be a pretty miserable Grand Prix. But I think the way Channel Firewall has slowly marketed themselves has just gone so far away from the Grand Prix being about the main event. And with just so many different things for people to do. Uh, like, you know, like you had brought up Command Zone, right? Like, sure, Command Zone isn't necessarily- Talking to the mic, Ed. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry, I just turned around. Um, <laughs> Command Zone isn't necessarily full to a brim, but there's right. definitely people in there playing things that uh, shows that they're selling command zone badges. There's probably people, I can I can definitely see people walking around with a command zone badge on who aren't inside the command zone itself. And I think that's, uh, the virtue of that is that channel is doing a better job than we think of getting people into the hall. Um, it is Friday, it is early. The from my experience, the nature of kind of these urban areas is that usually people work, and on Friday, unless they have a really compelling reason to, most people probably don't don't show up until in the evening after they're done with work or you know tomorrow, anyways, for the main event. I agree. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. Um, it feels like there's been a lot of demand for the Commander Soul Ring promos. Um, I think like a big thing going for that as far as the price is once a Commander player has one copy and if they like it, they want more copies for all their Commander decks. It's not just you get one and you're done right. or you get four and you're done. If they really like that art, they're going to keep buying them. And we're seeing the foil soaring promos be like 119 is the cheapest I think I've seen this weekend. Biolists are like 80 to 90 right now. Obviously that will continue to fall since I believe we have the major Command Fest thing next weekend. Starting next weekend in, in Seattle. Seattle, yeah. Um, but there seems to be a lot of demand for these cards. Um, the Grand Prix promo for next year is just announced. It's Path to Exile with a new art, not Rebecca Gay. Um, I don't know where that's going to go. I don't think people want it more than the Rebecca Gay art, especially if everyone gets one. But it may be super cheap and fun to pick up compared to a normal copy. Yeah. Uh, that card does see a lot of play in modern. Um, 
you know, I think like the art is very sweet. I think that's enough to get people to want them. Very yeah. similar to like Lightning Bolt, right? Like there's like the foil probably looks probably has gorgeous art. And I imagine there'll be ways for the people to get the non-foil variant as well if they're looking to just, you know, play in a deck without having to worry about their entire deck being foil or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely interesting. Um, something else that should probably be noted this weekend is Eternal Weekend is next weekend as well, I believe. Yes. Um, so vendors may be a little more aggressive on getting old school cards just so that they can have them in stock um, for Eternal Weekend. I don't know what the turnout for Eternal Weekend is going to be. But uh, it should be interesting. Um, yeah, like, I think um, Eternal Weekend is the way it brands itself as kind of the, like, flagship Eternal Weekend of the year. Correct. Like, really pushes people, really pushes people to come out who may not otherwise travel, right? We're talking about eternal players, people that likely have to work full-time jobs or whatever. They probably can't get out to play Grand Prix or something, right. but they're willing to make this special trip out to Eternal Weekend to be able to jam Old School, be able to jam Legacy, be able to jam Vintage. And we've seen two things happen this year as well. Um, one is that Card Titan said that they're going to be doing Commander events at Eternal Weekend, which may not be on brand as far as I know, but uh, it's a way to get even more people in the Pittsburgh area and the Midwest area to get to these events. But as far as the Eternal Weekend itself goes, uh, there appears to be a bit of a scheduling snafu this year. Uh, they didn't really release details until about 30 to 40 days beforehand, and as a result, a lot of players aren't attending this year. So right. it'll be interesting to see what happens. And, you know, Card Titan, I, I've run events sponsored by them. I've ran feeder events for Eternal Weekend for them for the last three years now, I believe. Um, it will be interesting to see how players react either with their wallet or just, like, deciding not to go because details weren't there until last minute. But for the, the players that do end up going, all the vendors this weekend are going to have that are working at Eternal Weekend or Seattle and Eternal Weekend, they're going to have a lot of old school either for uh, the players that are doing pretty well for themselves in Seattle and on the West Coast or for the players that, you know, they go to one event a year, that's all they can afford to do, that's all they want to do is hang out with their friends, and that's where they sell their whole deck and buy their whole deck. Um, so it's definitely a different type of financial atmosphere when it comes to Eternal Weekend, I feel like. Yeah, Eternal Weekend is, like, it's a pretty strange event, especially when it comes to vending. I've done it for a few years now, both as you know, an attendee to, you know, play the old school formats, um, the eternal formats, in addition to being a vendor. And it's definitely kind of an odd animal. It's not, it's definitely not the most profitable event, mainly because the type of people there aren't the type of people that show up to Grand Prix, obviously. There's not a lot of overlap. Um, you generally have people that aren't necessarily, like, financially strained, right? People who, these are, uh, you know, you know, we talked about veterans being five-year players. Now, yeah. these these are some of the people that have been playing Magic for, like, 20-plus years, right? They started when they were probably, you know, in their teens or whatever in the late 90s. And now, um, you know, they're they're probably, like, like late 30s, like, mid to late 30s. They have a full-time job. They probably have a family. It's probably hard for them to get out. But it doesn't necessarily matter to them that, you know, they have to spend money to buy whatever cards they need because a lot of the cards that would be expensive they've owned since the late 90s or something right do you see the magic market slowing so like we have all these new arena players coming in right and like every brick and mortar shop as we've talked about in the past has seen a rise in these casual players right do you feel like there's enough 
players willing to push to the competitive scene that as these older players sell out or they have real life stuff come up they realize they can sell their collection for a car or a house or like a family vacation do you think that we currently have enough players and we have a strong enough economy that they can sort of cushion all these cards coming onto the market like what happened last year in December and then we see a rise next year or do you feel like every year it gets harder and harder to justify owning this much money in cards for the established players I I do think for the established players it, they're definitely there, most people do have like kind of a tipping point in their life, right? Like, you know, a lot of people, you know, some people, you know, from an example earlier today, someone stopped by to dump some stuff. Uh, he he had to buy an engagement ring. Yeah. Right. Like that's a relatively small investment, right? And like for most people, is that a, a lot, is that entire entire collection? Probably not, right? But when you start thinking about my vintage deck is a basically a down payment for my house, right? Or like you know, my, I can sell my legacy deck, put a down payment on my car. That's a pretty substantial life decision that a lot of people, you know, do tend towards. I don't fault anyone for doing it. We've talked about this before. I think it's, you know, if it's going to change your life, you probably should give up your magic cards for it. And I think, again, as the base, the player base for a lot of these older cards, as they do find a good incentive to sell out, I do think that there will probably be... Uh, probably a bit of an incline for vendors to kind of overcome because you know it's we always won't be buying cards as vendors right, right? because but that's how you pay the bills you don't just make money selling cards eventually you run out of cards you need to buy more cards you know right right but there's going to be a point when you're running out of people to sell to right yeah. like i imagine like you always have much more experiences than i do um like we how have many different customers right right you have different customers but yeah. like how many old school customers or how many customers you had do you have that were once old school players that are probably at the point where they want to be selling out or they want the cards that the returns that they got from their old school with the huge surge and um I, I'm just noticing a player's shirt that says buy, sell, magic, Pokemon, Yu-Gi-Oh you don't normally see many binder grinders at Grand Prix anymore uh, sorry to get off track there it's just an yeah, um, interesting sight um, so 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 I've been fortunate enough to cultivate my cultivate my business around selling to old school players and high end high end people, and on the other hand, um, selling like two dollar dragons to casuals that like they don't know how to buy online, they don't care, they just want their card now. They're they're the ones digging through the fifty cent bulk rare, fifty cent bulk rare uh, uh, bin and spending their hard earned money on cards that make them happy, right? But when it comes to competitive players, outside of the events I was running each year, I almost had no dealings with competitive players because competitive players would rather buy from you at a Grand Prix or they would rather buy from you on TCG Player, right? But for me, I was the people that can afford to spend 10 grand on a card without batting an eye because I've set up those networks as far as being able to get any card they need in whatever condition um, or the casuals. Um, They're trying to spend like... Five dollars to finish. Exactly. So, like so say the market goes bad, the casual players will spend a little less, but the margins are still good, right? Because in the recession, they're going to go to something that makes them happy and offers replayability, which is definitely EDH, which is our bread and butter. We're talking like seventy to ninety players on Tuesday nights. I completely sold out of the shop. We like literally had to open another uh, five thousand square feet just to hold our board gamers because Tuesday nights were so big, and because these players were spending so much money, we were like, we can afford to do this, right? Um, the other hand, in a recession, the high-end whales that I've cultivated relationships with, as well as you, you know, you're really good at linking people to cards as well. Um, they are not going to care. They have enough money to do whatever they want. Ten grand to them is not a big deal. They're happy to spend it in the in a recession. So 
rather than be a shop that over the years has continuously been strangled out of business by online sales, I've either embraced it or just catered to people that don't even do online sales in the first place. I think I don't think that's an unreasonable take. I think that there are certainly certain businesses on the Grand Prix circuit or people that just do magic in general. Uh, I don't really want to name names here, but like I know that there's definitely quite a few people whose business model, you know, the way they operate, uh, whether it be their brick and mortar, whether it be online, whether it be, you know, Grand Prix oriented, that will probably suffer as a result, especially if recession happens. Um, so I think like even like a lot of this seems very distant to a lot of you. I know like, you know, if, if you're just, you know, you want a two to three year player and you're thinking like, how does this apply to me? You know, like this does trickle down, right? Because, you know, these are the players that like you'll have to make a decision, like do I go out and support my store? Like am I buying online, right? Because especially with people who may have limited funds, you know, for us, it's it's no issue to drop like five digits, six digits on collections. And that's not allegedly. That's, that's how we make our bread and butter. Because that's, that, that's the nature of this business, right? But again, um, part of this podcast is like, how can we make this more affordable for you guys? Like what, how can we guide your decisions to make Pioneer as affordable as possible? Yeah. Right, as opposed to, you know, some people might just jump on the bandwagon right away and think that they have to be buying these cards before they risk missing out. And that's, you know, that's the type of thing we want to avoid. Um, one, because, you know, from our perspective, we have the experience, um, we have the experience doing this. We know what the market looks like. I've been around when Modern was introduced. Same. Right. And we, it was free money. And a lot of, a lot of people that are in this room with us did not capitalize on that return on investment enough. And they also didn't capitalize well enough last year when everything went crazy. They overspent, they overcommitted their funds, they maxed out their credit cards. And that's like a general just rule of MTG finance, no matter what level you're at is like, keep your finances in check. Like as Ed has said continuously on this podcast, there's always going to be a better deal that comes along. It's about being patient, right? Like someone will eventually walk in and they'll be selling their cards for the numbers you want to pay and you'll be good. But we're seeing a lot of prices fall over the last two years and a lot of vendors are just screwed. You know, like they have bills to pay, they're falling behind on insurance, or not insurance, interest payments, the dude that lent the money isn't happy. Right, even like rent, for example, right? Yeah, like, yeah. You know, it's, you, there's no shortage of stores if you really delve into it that I imagine have a hard time just keeping their lights on, right? And what like, they're doing, and I know I've talked about this on the podcast before, is they're selling their product for like barely whatever they paid. They're like, they're like, you know what? I just spent ten grand on a collection. Bills are due next week. I need to fly to a Grand Prix, buy less of my cards, and like hope to keep the lights on for another month. Right. And like for people that can't manage capital well enough, or for people that have just always sort of had a problem with with dealing with money or like the fast money MTG Finance can bring to you, it's a real problem for a lot of these people. They go from, you know, thinking $10 on going out for a meal is too much to just spending $600 on a foil just because, and they, they're they're keeping it for themselves at, like, some point. Never get high on your own supply, right? Right. Yeah. But, like, a lot of people are too emotionally invested in this aspect of the economy to... Uh, to make the correct decisions, I would say, and know when to walk away even potentially from a deal. I think that's one of the biggest things you have to learn is like sometimes when you're buying something, they want too much and you just got to say, you know what, go to someone else. Like, I can't help you if you come back and you take the number I want, which has happened to me before, you know, that's what you're here for. So... Any, uh, any picks of the week or you want to talk about anything else? Uh, I think just like kind of wrap up on that, right? Just like, like be rational about it. 
I think a lot of people, you know, like Jeremy said, they get a little bit too tied up in kind of the motions. A lot of people feel like, oh man, I did great on the spec, right? The spec, you know, if you happen to buy Ember Cleave, you know, before before two bucks, now it's like twelve, right? Before the Mythic Championship, like it feels great to to hit on that, right? But like. You know, one, I would say that if you're so sure that this was free money, why didn't you buy more? And I would that part of that is probably because you weren't confident enough. It's one thing to go and buy four copies or eight copies of Spec on. It's another thing to like bet your bankroll on it, right? And I think a lot when a lot of people get caught up on that. You know, it's like getting that rush feels great, right? It's like if you went if it went from two dollars to like you know I think it peaked at like fifteen dollars or something. Correct. Sure, it feels great to capitalize on that, but how many like you know, do we talk about? I can't even think of what misses are right now. There's there's just so many of them. Like the majority of the cards that you think will do well, you're just gonna miss on. Yeah. Right. Like how expensive was like uh, the Royal Scions when it first came out? Right. right. Like these are all things that like people would have lost on. Right. Like how many people had the guts to be buying Okos at like twenty five dollars or right? forty dollars? Right. Go up to sixty. And like obviously in hindsight, it's like duh. No, if I could buy Oko right now for twenty five, I would. And we saw the same thing with Flip Jace, right? It just went up to a hundred naturally. <coughs> and you, you know, for the record, there's vendors in this room paying forty five on Oko. That's probably, that's that's a high number, right? So yeah. like buying forty would be great. But again, how many people had the guts to go buy more than a playset? It's one thing to go buy a playset for yourself. It's another thing to go buy, you know, ten playsets or something, right? Because that's a non-zero investment for a lot of people. Yeah, and I think another big thing is, um, just to sort of finish this, a lot of people failed completely when it came to speculating on cards over the last five years. They had a lot of misses, and now they're touting themselves on social media that they're so wise that all their money that they had in Pioneer suddenly is worth something. But in reality, they just sort of got subsidized by Wizards to, like, be correct. Like, they were wrong for five years. Like, they, I, I would argue if you were, if you put that much money into it and you get paid off five years down the road, you're not managing your money effectively enough unless you can afford to put like a grand or two in new Dragons of Tarkir stuff and sit on it, right? Like that was potentially missed income that they could have put into old school last year or the reserve list last year and made even better returns just flipping the same card week after week that we saw in the run-up for the first eight months of 2018. Right. So, well... We're going to go ahead and uh, wrap this podcast up. Uh, we'd like to thank Tales of Adventure for letting us record behind the booth. We definitely got a lot of funny stares from people walking by. That's <laughs> uh, sure. like half the fun, though. So, I, so in case anyone's wondering, because there's no video feed, we are sitting behind the booth in the middle. We're basically looking forward, and there's there's just a mic scene. <laughs> We're in front of a mic and a computer. Correct. So. And all these uh, customers are walking up. And they're wondering what's going on, and they're just—they're like asking us to pull a card, and we're still just talking. And like, I, you'll hear at the beginning of the podcast, I'm giving away thirty-dollar packs for free if you looked on Twitter, because I've had a bunch of people come up and ask for free stuff. I gave away a free box of Modern Masters thirteen to like the first cartel fan that saw me today. Um, yeah, so like, if you listen to cartel and you and like you didn't recognize our voices today. Uh, first off, shame on you. But second off, yeah, there's going to be a lot of... I, I expect to see some feedback on Reddit on the uh, GP Phoenix event of what the hell are these guys doing <laughs> podcasting? In the, like, what's this booth doing? They're podcasting, but yeah. It's, it's kind of unfortunate that this isn't done live. Uh, obviously, yeah. I like, do scheduling. We couldn't, like... This was kind of impromptu. Jeremy was kind enough to show back up and say, like, hey, let's get recording. So Yeah, well, at least we, uh, at least we got the audio for this week down. Um, do you uh, want to do any picks of the week this week, or you just want to do general finance to close up the cast? Uh, I think uh, I currently like the Shadows over Innistrad um, lands. I can't, remember, I can't remember what the lands that, uh, like Choke Estuary, 
Like that's for one reason. That's one I remember. I think that cycle is good. I don't. When I last looked, they hadn't gone up in price yet. And for whatever reason, I think a lot of Shadows over Anshrod cards hadn't gone up in price. I think uh, Traverse the Ovenwald is like fairly cheap, and I think that card is definitely a staple in uh, going forward. Um, if you're looking to play Pioneer cheap, these are the places I would look to make moves. Uh, it probably doesn't hurt you to spend, you know, like if you spend fifty dollars, you can probably buy a lot of these cards on the cheap right now and just get it out of the way. Um, these are probably cards that will be relevant at some point in time, um, and I don't think like that it would be unreasonable to want to buy these cards now in case you need them in the future. Um, so I would I would look at Shadows of Aerostrad. Um, I do the supply on that set was like fairly high. Yeah. Being uh, in case anyone forgot, that was kind of the awkward uh, two block rotation period where they're trying to rotate every full, uh, every big set. Yeah. So that's like every six months. So it kind of created like this weird like staggering uh, rotation that and a happened. lot of the cards weren't worth anything forever. So you can oh, easily yeah. find them in bulk boxes. Yes. A lot of the zombies that are seeing play from Shadows over Innistrad block are super cheap right now. Yes. And they've only been propped up by casual supply or casual demand. So if there's actual competitive demand behind this black white zombies deck, we could see prices get pretty crazy. Yeah. Or so, pretty grave depending on how you how you manage your finances there. Uh, yeah, so that, 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 that's my pick. I would probably start there. Like, obviously, it's, like, very general, but I would start with, like, the lands and, like, Traverse Ovenwald. So my pick of the week, just from talking to a lot of listeners on social media this week, is to pay off your credit card bill with whatever spike from Pioneer. Because a lot of a lot of our, not necessarily listeners, but people in tune with MTG Finance, I would argue a lot of Redditors as well, even though we'll probably catch flag for that, or at least I'll catch flag for that. They don't have their bills paid off right. And, like... If you've been sitting on all this stuff and you have student debt or you have like a car loan or something, just like put it down, like make the payments, make sure to get some money in your account and take this time to sort of refresh what your goals are for MTG Finance going forward in 2020, right? Like we're getting to the end of the year, prices are going to start falling. You may get some sweet deals, as Ed said, for the TCG Player Black Friday sale, but I would argue just getting your ducks in a row for 2020 and what could potentially happen with the, the economy. Just get that already, just in case. Have a little extra money and just wait for that next deal. Yeah. It's as a whole, it's like generally not fun to see like, hey, I got my tax return for the year. I'm just gonna use it to pay off debt, right? Like obviously, like that sucks, but that's financially the most responsible thing to do because, you know, at the end of like at the end of the day, like would I rather have magic cards or would I rather have less debt? Most people probably own rather own a sweet magic collection instead. But in the long term, you know, there's a good, there's gonna be a point when your magic collection is going to, you know, you risk like losing. Have it. a healthy reduction. I yes. think it's the best way to put it. Yes. Be- just because prices go down doesn't mean it's bad, but it is bad if you've overextended yourself. Yes. Um, it's a great thing in the long term if you expect magic to go back up because it means cards will be potentially cheaper for years to come. Now you can sit on them again and have a growth like we saw in 08 when power went over to Euro. Right. So. Where can people find you? Uh, you guys can find me at the Phoenix Convention Center at Grand Prix Phoenix. I will try to upload this tonight. <laughs> we can't really edit all the noise out. So uh, for anyone who made it this far. Yes. Yeah. If you're in Phoenix, I'll be here tomorrow and Sunday. You guys can find me on Twitter at Edwin13. I will be in Command Fest next weekend in Seattle gang, behind, gang. The, behind the booth there. I will not be at Turner Weekend, unfortunately. And then we have the Mythic Championship in Richmond. I'll be there most of the week, uh, hanging out with people, some of my European friends coming over for the Mythic Championship. 
And then I have a week off. I'm actually going to Hawaii on vacation. Ah. Because there's... I, w- I won't be going to SDG Con. I think that's the only relevant event that weekend. Yeah. And then I will be in uh, Columbus to round out the month. Um, I've already gotten annoyed of Grand Prix, to be honest with you. And I've been <laughs> in Phoenix for like two hours, on, two or three hours on site today. I went and played a round in, of golf between, uh, between being on site. <laughs> um... I'll be at Eternal Weekend on Sunday. I'm just dropping off grab bags for anyone who doesn't know. I have another quarter million dollars worth of grab bags up online. We sold cars to Jeremy for him to make yeah. grab bags. <laughs> I actually I came on site just so I could buy a bunch of old school cards for grab bags. Uh, so thanks for everyone for supporting that. You can find me on Twitter at MazuraMTG. That account will be going inactive around December. Uh, I posted like where you can follow me after that because I, I will still keep recording Cartel, obviously, but I just don't care about uh, running a shop anymore. So, or tournaments for that matter. I had a lot of people complain that I'm not running Legacy 10Ks next year, but unless they want to pay me a bunch of money to come back, it's not worth it. So, uh, yeah, thanks for uh, finally getting on, Ed. Um, I'll see you in another month, I guess, when I hit you over the head with a, like a, a club and drag you into my car in uh, November whenever you get your audio issues sorted out. All right, if I, if I go missing, right, like, blame Jeremy. I'll just right, say like Ed went clubbing. That's all that matters. Uh, um, you can find this podcast on Twitter at cartel underscore finance. You can find this podcast on SoundCloud, YouTube, and, of course, on our sponsors link, coolstuffinc.com. Thanks for sponsoring the podcast. Uh, I'll have a separate interview coming out with Jim this week as well because uh, it was really hard once again to even, while I was physically in Phoenix, to get Ed in the same seat next to me to record. Um, but uh, thanks for listening to the Garbage audio that probably came from this podcast. Uh, Thanks for listening, guys. We'll see you next week, hopefully. And as always, bye-bye.